Welcome back to Never Forget Radio. This is the fourth installment of our series Empty Sky Rising, which examines 9-11 memorials around the country. There are so many, in so many places, that they take on almost every common artistic memorial form, except for one style that's ubiquitous in our public spaces. There are very few statues dedicated to 9-11. However, the historiographical urge to reduce collective experience to individual heroic iconography is very strong. And one day, civic commissioners might go looking for a statuesque subject from 2001. undergo a complete revisionist historiographical cleansing, then with every article about his paintings and every engineered cuddly press appearance, we get closer to a realist statue of George W. Bush rallying the workers at Ground Zero. Oh, it's so hard to remember. Welcome to Never Forget Radio. Where, from the comfort of your own home or your device, and from the safety of the future, we can revisit the memory of 9-11, of George W. Bush, and of all the years associated with both since. It's been over a decade of disappointment, failure, and disaster. I'm no expert, but I'll be your host as we explore our recent past and try to reclaim it. Let's roll. So out of all the statues of reprehensible people in Manhattan, luckily there's no image of George W. Bush. Yet. But although most 9-11 memorials are abstract forms, there is a new statue of a person right across the street from Ground Zero. To help us understand why there's a sculpture of a man on a horse with a huge machine gun in front of the New World Trade Center, today we're going to hear from emperors, palace officials, foot soldiers, and a gallery of psychophants, all through the magic of fair use for nonprofit educational historical purposes. We have had modest numbers of U.S. military forces on the ground in Afghanistan for weeks, and there's a picture of them on horseback. <laughs> For most, it was their first time on a horse, but their mission was crucial. Synchronize tribal warfare against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda by riding with and advising rival Northern Alliance warlords. Three teams of U.S. Special Operations Forces, just 34 men on horseback, taking on the terrorists who attacked America on 9-11. Ten years later, these horse soldier stories are being memorialized translated into art for a monument near the World Trade Center site. A special honor this morning on the World Trade Center grounds. A statue is going to be rededicated to remember the soldiers who rode into battle in Afghanistan after 9-11. The special operators and all those that served in the military that went and fought the battle of 9-11 wanted that soldier atop that horse to keep a watchful eye over the World Trade Center. These are the guys who have your back. These are the guys who are now watching an eternal vigil over Ground Zero. 
the falling of these towers washed us off on horseback. Now we're watching over you guys. We had them back. The America's Response Monument was dedicated on Veterans Day, and there is a powerful context to it that I don't want to lose while I criticize this statue. There are many more 9-11 memorials in the U.S. than memorials to the soldiers of the Afghanistan or Iraq wars, and so this placement at the ground zero of 9-11 memorialization seeks to acknowledge or prove to this single-event-obsessed culture that those things happen too. One thing I'd like to say briefly, and hopefully cover more in a future episode, part of the practice of any kind of feminism has got to be examining privilege, and being a civilian, if you think about it, is akin to having a privileged status. To be honest, I regard it as a privilege to have merely had to endure the restrictions of societal masculinity without further submission to a deadly homogenizing institution. The America's Response Memorial doesn't honor that kind of relatable, reluctant, or naive experience that so many people misguidedly, excitingly, youthfully, understandably sign up for every decade. Because it chooses to feature only the photogenic, or statuesque, beginning of a long and ongoing war, it willfully ignores the experience of the vast majority of American soldiers while relying on their rhetorical gravity. Without being falsely pious, I believe veterans deserve a piece of memorialization, not revulsion from the left or self-serving political congratulation and slobbering institutional glorification from the right. But I fear that the intent of this particular statue is not to honor a shared experience or create a nuanced dialogue with civilian passerby. Instead, it's a memorial to the special forces, the unsavory outriders who carry out Dick Cheney's words from right after 9-11. We have to work sort of the, the dark side, if you will. We're going to spend time in the shadows and in the intelligence world. Uh, a lot of what needs to be done here will have to be done quietly, without any discussion, using sources and methods uh, that are available to our intelligence agencies. The monument's heroic action pose whitewashes this moral ambiguity and all its consequent abuses. Instead of visiting a solemn reminder of endless war or a quiet tribute to the honored dead, future tourists will be encouraged to reimagine those dark shadows as romantic fluff. They don't look like your average, everyday, regular army soldier. They're really part diplomat, part anthropologist, uh, almost like a Jedi Knight without really even having to put a finger to a trigger. That was Doug Stanton, who wrote a book about this unit called Horse Soldiers, which is presumably even more romantic than the statue. Beyond honoring or promoting this particular story, the choice of an equine subject evokes an idealized military past, framing the special forces of today in a chivalric continuity with Civil War cavalry, Western cowboys, rough riders, and even space knights. Almost like a Jedi knight, the, the dark side. Equestrian statues are an ancient tool of power and power projection, developed in the Roman Empire. And so they've thus resonated with its subsequent imitators, autocracies, monarchies, colonial empires, and messianic, manifestly destined shining cities on a hill. The first depicted Roman emperors, and then were succeeded by kings and generals, looking down over the people in public squares, as if to say, Citizens, with the power of my shining sword, and the thunder of conquering hooves, I have made the safety for you. Enjoy peace now, grateful citizens, until war must come again and men like me must ride once more. Many subsequent powers have not only cast their leaders in calm bronze poses, 
but also cast themselves as thematic heirs to the Pax Romana, a 200-year period of declared peace of the old empire, leading to terms like Pax Hispania, Mongolica, Britannia, and Pax Americana in 1945 to present. These Paxae don't really mean peace exactly, but stability and control. They describe a system where the valued core citizens and policies of the empire are maintained safely by invisible violence at its colonial borders and societal edges. And it really looked like something you would envision in the Old Testament. Cecil B. DeMille would film and Charles Heston comes walking out of one of those buildings. In the 19th century, the expanding American empire built tons of its own equestrian statues. But its imperiality has outlived this iconic artistic expression. Equestrian statues haven't just been artistically outdated since the advent of modernism, but also militarily outdated since the advent of modernism. Sometime at the end of the 19th century, when gilded generals and presidents were going up on horseback in our public parks, the non-metal horse became obsolete. Instead of delving into the complex mess that the United States' actions in Afghanistan have devolved into, or the reality of an Afghan conflict which began so far before 9-11 that it actually encompasses 19th century cavalry charges. You want to imagine thousands of these horses pounding across the Afghan plain, charging at the Taliban line, firing over the heads of the horses. Instead, they've erected a romantic statue that allows the war to be reimagined as it was imagined in the minds of America's military men when they started it. These guys are being yanked out of the saddle, they fall to the ground, Another horse comes, horseman comes by and sweeps him up on the back of the horse and they keep charging and soon the Taliban line breaks. This sculpture indulges the expansionist fantasy that like the Roman legionary, the ingenious American soldier is adaptable to all climes and situations. Go into Afghanistan and do what the British couldn't do in the 19th century and what the Soviets failed at in the 20th century. This competitive disdain for America's historiographical imperial rivals is matched with a total dismissal of their Afghan opponents, who might as well be cavemen. Um, Sergeant Elmore described this as this, the Flintstones meeting the Jetsons almost. The whole media covered this war during the period when they covered it at all as a contextless clash of centuries between an advanced culture and a backward one. The same patronizing and destructive duality that the statue trebly indulges embodying civilized Romans conquering barbarians, cowboys subsuming Indians, and intrepid Americans riding faithful Afghan horses. This arrogance and dehumanization by soldiers and civilians is not just reprehensible, but there are also material reasons that the United States was not equipped for war in Afghanistan and did not succeed in their occupation or in their capture mission. A month after 9-11, there were boots on the ground dropped in in the dead of night, a tremendous display of power, reach, and speed. But I guess there was no plan for transportation. Good thing their Afghan allies had horses so that they could get around and actually fight. America is good at some things. And remember, it's a private effort. Uh, $750,000 raised by hundreds of Americans, Jerry Bruckheimer, Gary Sinise, uh, you know, just some wonderful people who said, we got to care about this. Not coincidentally, Bruckheimer owns the film rights to that book by Doug Stanton, Horse Soldiers, which is presumably coming soon. Make way for the new screen adventure from four-time Academy Award winner John Ford, The Horse Soldiers. John Wayne and William Holden riding hell-bent for glory in the most daring adventure that ever thundered across the screen. Sorry, um... 
Sounds like something out of a movie. But this is real. This happened. Worst Soldiers of 9-11, a film by war reporter Alex Quaid. I'm Gary Sinise. No, that's a documentary. I have the Bruckheimer trailer here somewhere. In a world where revenge is the only option, with America under attack, U.S. Special Forces fought their way through the desolate mountains of northern Afghanistan on horseback. Nicholas Cage is horse soldier. So that's another context to this statue. It's not so much memorial to the cleverness and resolve of the American soldier as much as their economic exploitability by Wall Street and Hollywood. At least the presence of powerful backers has ensured that this artwork is relatively tasteful. It shows a real person, not a saluting or shooting Superman. It could have been a lot worse. For example, the horse is not the most likely animal to be associated with 9-11 or the modern military. If you study the organizational iconography of the post-9-11 era, which, if there was any possibility of it ever ending, we could call the militarized police era, the dominant animal is the dog, galloping or snarling, shooting ahead of its handlers who are knocking down doors in Iraq or the Bronx or barking, biting, or tearing at helpless prisoners, most obviously in the photographs from Abu Ghraib. And so I would rather have a monumental image of a patriarchal horse or imperial eagle than a fascist dog, straining at its leash to be let loose at the throats of the helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a dog snapping at a human face forever. Horses are also far more associated now with the police than with the military. So this memorial slyly manages to glorify our other army as well. Horses aren't very useful in warfare anymore, but they're still really good at crowd control. We might even expect to see more of them in our cities in this century. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a regal horse trampling a protester's face forever. At first I was outraged that they had installed this military statue at a site that's supposed to be memorializing civilian deaths. But if you look again, the statue really ought to be there, because it really does live up to its title, the America's Response Monument. This is not a traditional equestrian statue, not another calm monarch or proud general surveying serenely the scene of his benevolent protection. This horse is rearing, scared, acting quickly, and so is its rider. Positioned diagonally, their backs to both the new building and the absence of the old one, horse and rider look out startled at some sudden danger. To me, they signify a troubled empire, always reacting, jolted, slashing at flies, hurt, and needing to punish someone, anyone, but fast. No longer settled and secure, no more paternalist Pax Americana, but a rearing, startled, quick-acting, unthinking empire, a reactive military valuing readiness and willingness, but not effectiveness or necessity. Intended to glorify and honor, this memorial shows doubt and fear, even panic. This honestly memorializes the fall of 2001 and the unnecessary and mismanaged wars that followed. It presents the United States as Austria-Hungary, a falling, flailing, failing empire. This was America's response. In previous episodes, I criticized short-sighted memorials that seek to fix the emotions of the day forever, to live in the eternal present. And I called rather for responses that dealt with the future. 
and unwittingly right across the street from Ground Zero and its monument to permanence, here is a depiction not just of America's response in Afghanistan, but of its future responses. In places that we civilians are not yet familiar with, where our government will train its overwhelming technology against local forces whose threat to us is tenuous at best. This monument will be for friendly warlords propped up with advisors, for smarter bombs and new drone prototypes, for extended deployments and underfunded services, for downed helicopters and warships sank by fishing ships, for puppet regimes overthrown after allied pullouts, for strongmen presidents who've lost our support and been reclassified as brutal dictators, for the new detainees of new occupations, and for future imperial iconographic and memorial celebrations of all of it. America's response. Apparently the statue was originally intended to be placed in Zuccotti Park, but Zuccotti Park was busy. It's clear now, though. Maybe one day when commuters go there for lunch and tourists stop to rest, they'll see a statue of a person who truly defined his era, a hero who healed a wounded nation and set its policy for decades to come, shouting some important message across time through some kind of old-fashioned amplification device smiling confidently from the top of his stylized rubble pedestal in the middle of Bush Park. Never Forget Radio is a production of Book Style Publications, currently based in West Philadelphia. Music is by Old Table, No One in the Somebodies, and Dave Marley, plus Cave Cricket and Turbo Sleaze. Special thanks to Natalie Cohen for suggesting looking into equestrian statues, Dave Marley, and me, Mo Martin. Photos by Aaron Pasternak. For more information on Lower Manhattan, visit Never Forget Radio on iTunes, Facebook, Gmail, Bandcamp, or Tumblr, or Never Forget Pod on Twitter. All of our episodes can be downloaded for free, but if you'd like to support this project, please feel free to send any amount. Your donation will be forwarded care of the Walt Disney Corporation to help fund the upcoming film Horse Soldiers, which will feature this memorial in a cheery epilogue. Reunited soldiers solemnly saluting as the sun sets over New Jersey. Today's quote is attributed to indigenous Celtic resistor Calgacus by Roman historian Tacitus, but due to the vagaries of ancient and modern historical records, who even knows? Calgacus said to his men on eve of battle, To robbery, slaughter, plunder, the Romans give the lying name of empire. They make a desert and call it peace. Thank you, and never forget.